0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: Gretchen Whitmer has had a tumultuous first term rocked by COVID and the attending economic crisis as well as the normal political battles. Next Tuesday, she'll ask voters to give her another four years as governor to work through her agenda. And today, we're going to ask her to make that case to you, our listeners. Then Dan Kildee, who faces re-election in a newly drawn congressional district around Flint, will join to tell us why he is asking voters to return him to Washington. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. W-D-E-T. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you have decided to join us. Just six days left before we go to the polls in the November 22 midterm elections. They are so close now that uh, many of us have already voted for one candidate, for one party, for one issue or another. And while we have been stressing the importance of paying attention to all of these races and all of the issues, there is one race that always gets more attention than others. Whatever race is at the top of the ticket. And this year, that is the race for governor here in Michigan. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, a Democrat, is running for re-election, Her opponent, her main opponent, is Republican Tudor Dixon. Uh, Governor Whitmer is running on maintaining abortion access, expanding money for schools, increasing financial support for child care and families, and yes, on fixing the roads, which she was not able to do without a tax increase that the Republican-led state legislature rejected in her first term in office. There is a lot more money for roads. Of course, she was able to work out a compromise to get that done, but uh, we still don't have that big funding stream that we probably need to make our roads uh, much better and to keep them in better shape. There are a number of things that Governor Whitmer also has not been able to accomplish because of the conservative majority in the state legislature. One of the questions for her re-election is what will she do this time if she wins? What kind of policies Will she be able to pass, especially if one or both of the chambers in the state legislature stay under Republic, Republican majority? I'm very pleased to welcome Governor Gretchen Whitmer here now to talk about all of this just six days before the election. Governor Whitmer, welcome back to Detroit Today.
2: Good morning, Stephen. It's good to be with you.
1: Yeah. So I, I want to start here. Uh, I stopped at the gas station station. This morning, on my way to do the show, and the number on the pump when I was done was a hundred dollars. Uh, that's a lot more than it was uh, a year ago, of course. Uh, and it's not just gas. I mean, when I go to the grocery store, when I. Uh, by anything these days. It's just a lot more than it was. This is the issue that nationally, at least, seems to be framing the midterm elections. It's motivating a lot of voters. It's making them think really hard about their decisions. Where I want to start with you is what can you as governor do about Inflation, uh, since it's the thing that uh, is on every th- everyone's mind, uh, what are you telling voters about uh, reelecting you, and what that would mean for their pocketbooks?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, inflation is hurting people all around the world. It's a global problem that we're all confronting. And while a governor can't unilaterally fix global inflation, what we can do is take actions to keep money in your pocket and help you make more money, and that's. has centered a lot of the work that we've done, whether it's bringing down the cost of daycare or the cost of getting skills so you can get into that better paying job, putting our fiscal house in order at the state level, meaning we've paid down a lot of debt, but we've also been able to make record investments in things that'll make people's lives better, whether it's fixing the damn roads or it is keeping communities safe or it's investing in our kids' education. But we also have left some money on the books. And so I've been trying to get our Republican legislature to get some inflation relief checks out to people. We have the ability to do it. It would help mitigate some of the pinch that people are feeling they've not taken action yet. But between that proposal, as well as a proposal to eliminate the retirement tax, to increase the earned income tax credit for people who are working full time but just can't keep their head above water, these are ways that we can put money back in people's pockets right now, as well as a pause on the sales tax on gas. All those proposals are languishing in the legislature while they're home campaigning. It'd be great if when they do get back to work, we can get some of this done and help people.
1: So uh, speaking of uh, the legislature and what they've done, there are a lot of things on your agenda that you were not able to get done because... Uh, the legislature is controlled by uh, by another party. Uh, you, on that list, you could put uh, family leave, expanded childcare, raising the minimum wage, and of course, funding the roads the way that that you had proposed in your first campaign. So, I, one of the logical questions, I think, is why things might be different in the second term. If voters go out next Tuesday and cast their votes for you and you are re-elected, but the legislature stays in the hands of republicans are, are we facing another 4 years of this kind of frustration where the most significant parts of your agenda just can't be enacted and i guess the flip side of that is then why not vote uh, for a republican for governor and uh, take a chance with uh, with them getting their their agenda enacted instead
2: i think we've got very very different views on what we can do. So, and, and not me and you, I'm talking about my, the, my challenger. Sure. I mean, you know, this is a, a moment where we have made record investments in public education. We have closed the gap between districts that festered there for decades. We actually are now funding our students at an equal uh, rate, which is really important to, as we want to get our kids back on track. But we've built equity on top with record investments and at-risk and English language learners and students with special needs. This is how we really prepare our kids. My opponent, uh, who's bankrolled by Betsy DeVos, wants to change that whole funding stream and take half a billion dollars out of our public education system. That will return us to underinvestment and make it a lot less likely we ever hit that top 10 literacy rate, which is what we are focused on. We are making progress on the roads, but my opponent uh, has undermined a lot of that work already, and as she has come out against economic development incentives, which has helped us secure the future of the auto industry and build out opportunity for good-paying jobs for Michiganders, we can't afford to go backwards, Stephen, whether it's economic development or education funding or individual rights to make our own decisions about our bodies or the ability to participate in elections. There's a lot on the line in this election. And if I am returned for four more years, regardless of the makeup of the legislature, I will stay focused on solving problems. I'll work with anyone who's serious about solving problems. And I think we've shown we can get a lot done even with a Legislature that has been uh, very difficult at times to work with.
1: So so let, let's go further in, into that. What specifically would you say voters could expect in terms of relief from inflation, in terms of the roads? What, what can you get done in a second four-year term?
2: Well, we've already rebuilt 13,000 lane miles and 900 bridges. And I know your listening audience sees the... Uh, work being done every single day as they they drive to work or they drive in their communities. We're moving a lot of dirt, we're rebuilding roads. Um, They know that you know our, our kids now have some resources so that we can drop class size and give them before and after school programming. What I'd like to do is have individualized tutoring available for every student so we can really be focused on the individual student's needs. We have the resources to do it for the first time in decades. I think that this is an important investment that we could make to get our kids back on track. And I'm grateful that there have been so many uh, teachers and stakeholders and frankly, Republicans from the West side of the state who have embraced this plan as well. And I think This is going to be a centerpiece of the work that needs to be done for the next four years.
1: Hmm. So uh, one of the other things that you have been working on is, of course, bringing corporations uh, to the state, uh, uh, trying to create jobs and economic activity here uh, with incentives. And there are a lot of people who are pretty critical of that, uh, calling it kind of giveaways, giving money to these corporations that we don't get back commensurate uh, investment in uh, in the people here, and in, in, in infrastructure, uh, in jobs and oppor- opportunity. Uh, make the case for that approach to economic growth, uh, which is you know, somewhat controversial sometimes. Uh, why, is it, why is it that we want to do it that way, and are there other ways that we might grow the economy that don't cost us so much?
2: I think the knock on Michigan historically has been that we didn't have the same economic development tools, we moved too slowly, that it was, Lansing was too dysfunctional. And I worked with the Republican legislature to sharpen our economic development tools and get it done fast, so we've turned that narrative on its head. And that's precisely why GM decided to make their $7 billion investment building batteries here in Michigan. As we think about how the auto industry is evolving right now, where the batteries are made is where so much more of, of mobility is going to be centered. And that's why we've got to win this race right now. We know that Michigan is now competing and we are winning. And these are the kind of jobs you can raise a family on. They, have, they spur all sorts of economic development in communities. If we are at the front of building batteries and electric vehicles, we're gonna be able to sustain a Michigan where Michiganders can thrive for generations. These are, that's why it's so important that we're moving fast. You know, when we announced our next energy, building a gigafactory in Van Buren Township in Wayne County, it is a huge deal. These are long range batteries. This is a new way of building batteries. If that work happens in Michigan, it secures so many other parts of our economy. And that's why it is important that we not unilaterally disarm. If we don't win this decade, we could be left behind for a generation. And these are the kind of jobs that, you know, really build build prosperity and opportunity for people. But again,
1: the the way we get those jobs is with these incentives, and and a lot of people think that uh, that's the wrong way to go about it. Can you make the case for that uh, that approach uh, versus versus doing other things?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So. We know that for that gigafactory that we just announced in Van Buren Township, we were competing with 12 other states. They're throwing all sorts of incentives at companies to try to lure them to make investments in their states. We won because we had a thoughtful plan to increase our workforce skills, to make Michigan a place where these businesses can thrive, and we came to the table. Now, we have a prohibition on offering cash to companies. We don't do that in Michigan. We're one of only two states. But it also hurts our ability at times to compete, as you see places like Mississippi throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at companies. We don't do that. But what we do is build out spite. We work with companies to ensure that they've got workforce needs are met. This announcement we made recently in Big Rapids is one that the local barber was thrilled about because it means... Big Rapids is going to have good paying jobs, and they anticipate they'll see their population grow. It'll be good from everyone, from the barber to the superintendent who will have kids in their district to the families that'll benefit. I I always um, pause when we say, okay, this is 2,112 jobs in Van Buren Township. It's not about that number. This is about really creating wealth and individual opportunity. and I think that's why it's important we compete. If we if we don't compete this way these businesses will invest elsewhere and we won't have those great paying jobs and I think that's what's what's so important here to not lose sight of
1: yeah uh, governor I don't want to spend a, a lot of time going over uh, the 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 Tip for tat, I guess that 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 uh, has been going on since the last debate about what you said about school closures during during COVID. But but I think it it points to a bigger question that I want you to talk some about. Uh, there there are some suggestions that uh, the steps you took, the aggressive steps you took uh, to lock down the state during COVID, um, could have been. Looser. They didn't have to be as aggressive as they were to save as many lives uh, as they did. In other words, if we hadn't shut down businesses for as long, if we hadn't been as stringent uh, with with uh, with state orders, we we would have suffered the same kind of loss that we did. I, I I imagine that that's something you have to be thinking about all the time, is what that balance was and how you struck it. I want to give you a chance to talk about that and, and address whether you would have done anything Different than what you ended up doing?
2: Well, I know, you know, none of us wants to relive COVID, but we can't forget <clears throat> in the early days of the virus, the metropolitan Detroit area was absolutely slammed with COVID
1: patients. Devastated, we, yes. We,
2: we were devastated the same time that New York was. We didn't have a federal government that was helping us. In fact, they were disseminating bad information. Um, endangering people. I was listening to our experts and the base of knowledge in epidemiology was on the last huge global pandemic, which was the 1918 flu. That flu killed children disproportionately. So when the experts were saying we think we should get kids out of school, it was an effort to save lives. We knew that like any disruption in learning, it would require additional resources and focus to get our kids back on track. But as a mom, I was thinking about parents who are sending their kids to school, and if that 1918 flu was anything similar to COVID, it would have been a huge loss of life of kids. And so that's why, you know, that's why we made the decisions we did. We moved quickly. Studies have shown we saved thousands of lives. But in metropolitan Detroit, I know we remember that the hospitals were full. There were refrigerated trucks outside of them because the morgues were full, too. It was devastating. Every one of us probably knows someone or more than one person who died from COVID. It was a scary time. And when lives were on the line, it was these were tough decisions. None of them was easy. And I know it's been hard on a lot of people, but we saved thousands of lives. And I think that's really important to remember.
1: Would you have done anything different with regard to businesses or schools?
2: Of course. I mean, I think... If I could go in a time machine with everything we've learned about the virus and the since since those early days, um I would have made Michigan the center of the world in terms of manufacturing masks. I would have been able to know that we could do some things and and be a bit safer than what we were fearing at the time. But leadership is about not getting, you know, distracted in the middle of a crisis and putting lives at the center of your work and I think We did that, but now that we know so much more about this virus, certainly if I could go back in time, I would, yeah, I would do things, do some things differently. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, I know you have to run, but I really do appreciate you giving us the time and uh, talking to our listeners about uh, your re-election campaign. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. I want to encourage everyone to make your plan to vote. This is a really important election.
1: Absolutely, everybody does need to get out there and vote, or you can just do it at home now here uh, in Michigan. That is that is possible for everyone. Okay. Before we break, I want to also want to note that we have extended several times an invitation to Governor Whitmer's Republican opponent, Tudor Dixon, to come on to the show and talk with our listeners about why she thinks she should be governor. She has not yet accepted that invitation but tick tock tick tock we are running out of time uh, it would be great to have Tudor dixon here uh to talk with our listeners as well all right we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to stay on the campaign trail but head to congress and to the eighth congressional district where congressman dan Kildy is running for his re-election to uh to congress Uh, We'll continue to talk with uh, him, and we'll talk with you on the phone. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. day on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There are a lot of close races in our state as we get closer to November 8th, and one of them, interestingly, includes this newly drawn 8th Congressional District where Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee is facing off against Republican challenger Paul Young in the middle of the state, uh, sort of around Flint and uh, some other uh, municipalities there. This race, according to the Cook Political Report is actually a toss-up. Paul Young is running with Donald Trump's endorsement and is prioritizing border security, preventing abortion, gun rights, uh, parental choice in education, and reducing inflation as well as government spending. He also worked in the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Office under the Trump administration. Uh, Dan Kildee, on the other side, is running for his sixth term in Congress, and he has supported economic relief bills to combat COVID. He secured funding for infrastructure and blight removal. And his current district includes Flint, Bay City, and Saginaw, while this new 8th district extends west to include Midland, rural Saginaw, but loses some of the territory to the north. I'm really pleased to have Congressman Kildee here to talk about his record in Congress, uh, what this new district presents to him in terms of challenges of representing new constituents, and what he will do if he is reelected to Congress. Uh, Congressman Kildee, welcome back to Detroit today.
0: Thanks, Steven. It's good to be back.
1: Yes, it's great to have you here. Also, uh, I just want to note before we talk, we we were going through an exercise here at Detroit today where we're looking back at uh, the time that I've been hosting the show and looking at how frequently. People have appeared on the show, and my memory is that you are in the top three of all the people who have oh, been on this great. show. Uh, and I kept thinking that's got to be because of the Flint water crisis when we were talking to you just all the time about yeah. uh, about what was happening. But uh, it's great to have you here. I, I I would also say I don't I don't feel like you've been on. Maybe uh, in the last year. I mean, it's been it's been a long time since uh, since we've talked. So let's I start have, with this.
0: I uh, got sure to maintain, maintain my position. Now, <laughs> That's right. That's
1: right. Uh, so let's start here. Uh, tell me about this newly drawn eighth congressional district. Uh, why you're running in it, and uh, what what constituents will get uh, if they return you to Congress.
0: Well, you know, the district to me is familiar territory because it's Flint, Genesee County area, saginaw Bay city, those areas I've represented for the last decade. Now, you know, uh, most of the county of Midland, the city of Midland and the remainder of Saginaw County. This is territory that I've known my wife, that I've grown up in, that I've spent time in. Uh, While Midland is new to this congressional district, it's far from from new to me, my daughter lived there for five years, I spent a lot of time there. So, that's a long way of saying, this is really familiar territory, and the district makes sense. It's four industrial cities with unique characteristics, and I think that's where my work in this district align very closely, that the focus on those older industrial cities has been part of my career path long before I came to Congress. Yeah. So. I continue to do that work in this role, and whether it's using healthcare care costs or finding ways to invest in manufacturing in our part of the it, state, it's all the same um, work, and it's, it's something that we've had some clear success with. And we want to build on that success, and that's really the reason that I'm running again, to do what I can to lower the temperature and political dialogue. So, so, so and, and, and also to get some of the things done that we need to get done. To so,
1: store. talk about the the the, the most significant uh, accomplishments of uh, of your first six terms in 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 Congress. Uh, what what have the people of Flint uh, benefited from from having you in Washington?
0: Well, specifically for the people of Flint, obviously, uh, with the work that we did to help Flint recover from the, the mistakes that the state of Michigan made that caused the water crisis. And I was able to work to get literally hundreds of millions of dollars back to Flint to help them recover from that. But okay. The work that I'm you know, most focused on most proud of is much of the recent work that Congress has been able to accomplish that I helped to write. Like, uh, the Chips and Science Act, for example. I serve on both the Waitings Committee and the Science Committee and we crafted the legislation that now has incentives to build and process you know, microchips right here in Michigan. And we're already seeing the benefit of, uh, come to, to this district with companies like Mlock Semiconductor, SK Siltron, adding lots of jobs, good-paying jobs. You know, the infrastructure law, obviously, the, the Great Lakes protection work that we've done, um, you know, <clears throat> lots of work that I can point to in my legislation that passed the House, for example, through were some pensions for l salary retirees. Um, took a lot of work. We're going to get that through the Senate. That's the kind of work that I do. I advocate on behalf of the people I represent. I listen to what their needs are. I know the communities. And, you know, if I'm getting the opportunity to serve another two years, I'll just continue to you know, put my shoulder to the wheel and deliver for the people of this district.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Congressman Dan Keldy right now. He represents Michigan's 5th Congressional District. Uh, he is running in what will be the Congressional 8th here in Michigan because of uh, our exercise to redraw the lines every, every 10 years. It's a, a somewhat similar district, but includes uh, some municipalities to the West that were not in that 5th district. Uh, he also has A pretty uh, tight race on his hands, at least according to the polls. Uh, Paul Young uh, is his challenger, is a Republican uh, challenger, and the Cook Political Report calls the race uh, a toss-up. If you have questions for Dan Kildee about this race or about uh, the new Congressional 8th District, also about his record in Congress, uh, now is the time to call and ask. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and uh, we'll work you into, into the conversation. Uh, Dan, I want to talk about inflation, of course, uh, which is, again, on everybody's mind, uh, because it's something that we see all the time. Uh, I just told the governor in the previous segment that uh, I stopped to get gas on the way to the studio this morning, and uh, the pump when I was done said $100. Uh, now, I drive an SUV, and maybe that's my fault, uh, but but it wasn't that much uh, <laughs> eight months ago or a year ago. Uh, I, I see the same thing at the grocery store or any place that I, that I go right now, and, and, and it's everybody experiencing this. Uh, at the national level, of course, the Inflation Reduction Act is one of the things uh, that the president uh, ha- has spearheaded as, as a response to this. But, but give me just a, a, a quick rundown of what you think we ought to be doing uh, to deal with inflation, and also whether you think inflation is a, a long-term issue or just a, a temporary issue. I mean, sometimes uh, inflation goes up for a bit. Uh, economic condi- conditions change on their own, and it goes back down. Uh, is that what we're experiencing now, or is there something fundamental that we ought to be thinking about doing differently uh, that would that would bring prices down?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, when we think about any of the economic pressure that we face right now, inflation obviously the one that we we know is a problem. It's a problem for families trying to balance their, their budget at their kitchen table. We have to remember what we've come through in the last two and a half, you know, going on three years, an unprecedented global pandemic. Um, More than a million Americans have been lost to it. The disruption to the global economy is is dramatic. And of course, the effect has been lots of economic pressure, uh, supply chain disruption. The impact that that's had on inflation is very clear. You know, what we're expecting here in the United States is similar to what's being experienced, in fact, in some ways, not uh, quite as severe as it's being experienced in other parts of the world. It's a global phenomenon. That doesn't deviate the pain at that kitchen table, however. So while we might be able to explain how we are in this position, we have, to have We also have to look at what we've been able to do to deal with it. You know, when President Biden came into office, uh, you know, we, we had a plan, and we began to execute that plan to preserve families are losing everything that they've worked for because of the pandemic. The same with small businesses to preserve, keep those businesses afloat, whether it's the, you know, the, the, the cares act or the you know, American rescue plan, we stepped in to help preserve what we had so that we could get through the pandemic with those folks still standing. And we did it. But what I think what people want to know is, okay, we know how we got here. This was not a good experience for the, for the world. What's the path forward? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's focusing on what we can do to reduce costs for families. That's why the insulin cap legislation that I wrote is so important, because for about 10% of Michigan families, that's a real issue. Uh, unfortunately, the Senate only allowed it to apply to Medicare recipients, but it's a step in the right direction, so older Americans don't have to worry about not being able to afford insulin all the things we're doing to reduce healthcare costs, reduce premium costs, to reduce the out-of-pocket expenditures for people who are on Medicare, for example, all trying to reduce costs, the same with fuel. i fucked some in my own party by saying that we should suspend the gasoline tax in concert with state taxes being being, uh, delayed. It could have made a real difference in the price at the pump. I pushed the president to allow for year-round use of ethanol, a higher blend of ethanol. That reduced the price of the pump. Making sure that we use our strategic petroleum reserve. That also has made a difference. Hasn't solved the problem entirely, but what people want to know is that we hear them, we know that they're dealing with this, and we're gonna do the things we can do to help bring down their, their costs. And we've been able to do that to an extent. We have to you know, stick to it and get through this. And with the growth that we had. 10 million jobs since this president came into office. And actually, in a decent position to be able to come out of this pandemic. Recovery is still underway and have a, a strong economy because we re- are rebuilding our manufacturing days. I mean, this is, this is a plan that the president and the Democrats in the House and Senate put together that is making a difference for Americans. We need to stick to it. And then final point. Gasoline prices drive a lot of these increased costs because it costs to move products and materials around the country. That cost is passed on to consumers. There's no justification for the pricing that the oil companies are setting. Listen, I mean, we know it's a, it's a global market, but the fact of the matter is, oil companies are making a killing, huge profits, record profits, mm-hmm. when we're seeing pressure at the pump. We need to go after price gouging. That's why we wrote legislation to authorize um, the FTC to see, go after price gouging in the in the uh, in oil and gas industry because they're making huge profits and they're taking advantage of this moment that we're in this economic uh, stress that we're under to maximize their profits. And I don't think that's the principle at
1: all. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Here on the phones, three one three five seven seven one oh one nine. Uh let's go to Perry in Detroit. Perry, welcome to the show.
3: Yes. Uh can you hear me?
1: I sure can. Go ahead.
3: Yes. Uh first of all, Stephen, thank you very much for taking my call. Yep. Um I wanna just would like to say something this is more of a comment than a question. And it was to the um the governor. Um, but first of all, let me uh um, be straightforward. I'm a supporter of the governor. Okay. Uh And I would just like to say that, um, and of course, 2020 vision, um, hindsight is perfect vision. And everyone made mistakes at the beginning of this. But if you have to make a mistake, uh, at least she erred on the side of saving lives. And as far as, I'm just curious, why not just the governor, but also uh, Mr. Kildee, why don't they push back on the other side with facts? Uh, His opponent is talking about bringing jobs, just like the governor's opponent is talking about jobs. And our state is in record low unemployment right now. Um, They was hitting on the governor about not keeping her word on fixing the road. I mean, you can't walk down the street now without some type of construction (laughs) going on. And it just seems like the other side are good at articulating fears and falsehoods, but I haven't heard not one viable workable solution from either uh, Mr. Kildee's opponent or from the governor's opponent. I'm just wondering why don't they just push back with the things that we have in place right now, um, as opposed to uh, letting the other side, Uh, South Fear. And I work at a hospital, by the way. And I think the governor did an excellent job uh, as far as her response to COVID. And as far as inflation goes, this is not unique to United States. The planet, every industrialized country in the world is facing inflation. And as a matter of fact, the United States has some of the lowest inflation of the industrialized country, and I'm just wondering why uh
1: yeah we it's don't a great question instead of fear uh, Perry it's a great question and I'm glad you called and and asked it and Dan, you know i mean I think what Perry's thinking about here are the ads uh which are nonstop stop right now, and I feel like this cycle, the amount of negative ads has been. uh, Higher. I mean, it's just it. it, it, There's just a lot more of it uh, than 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 we normally see. And and to be fair, I think most of the negative advertising seems to be coming from Republicans attacking uh, Democrats. The governor. uh, Congressional uh, can- candidates, uh, 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 everybody, and and that's not to say that there aren't negative ads about Republicans, but I think on balance we're seeing far more about Democrats. I think Perry's asking why don't why don't we see a more aggressive pushback against all of that?
0: Look, I understand the point, and it, it is frustrating because you know what we we have seen these Republican attacks, which very often are rooted in zero fact just confection, they come up with these these, uh, attack ads because they don't have a plan of their own. I've been in Congress now for a few terms and I've seen this under Republican leadership and Democratic leadership. When the Republicans were in charge, they talked a lot. They declared infrastructure week every week for 52 weeks of every year. They talked a lot. They were actually only able to do one thing. And that was to cut taxes for the richest Americans and the, huge, the biggest transfer of wealth from working people to the wealthy took place in 2017 when the Republicans were in charge. And it was the only thing they ever did for the entire time that I served that the Republicans were in position of, of, of leadership when we uh, were able to be in a position to move our agenda we cut costs for health care we invested in manufacturing we've done the things we we our ocean shipping so that we don't see those empty cargo ships circling around our bays. We have taken steps, common-sense gun legislation, to protect people and allow us to protect Second Amendment rights at the same time. We've moved legislation to the president's desk. The reason I say all this is that there is a difference, and we see it particularly with this version of the Republican Party. They just simply attack Democrats and have no plan of their own as to how to make healthcare more affordable, to reduce costs at the kitchen table, to make sure that there's a a positive path forward for every kid in America, no matter where they're born. They're just really good at manufacturing outrage and criticism, but not so great when it comes to actually delivering people. You know, the way you can best judge somebody who's running for office is not on what they say, but on the track record of what they've done. Mm. And this is frustration for me because I have an opponent who's never stuck with anything in his whole life. He's not even from my district. never slept a night in this district until after he filed to run for office here. He qualifies himself because he's a multimillionaire from inherited money um, from his family business. And he just believes that that entitles him to go anywhere he wants and say anything he wants about me and my record making things up, I have to respond by running on my record. I, th- I think you can judge a person running for office based on what they've done, and you can also judge partly on how they campaign. If, if their role in the campaign is going to be nothing but, uh, but willing to attack their opponent and not articulate their plan, you can bet that that's what they're going to continue to do once in office, and particularly when they're willing to lie to voters, about the record, about the facts, you can expect them to continue to do the same thing if they were ever elected to the public office. So, you know, makes a very important point. Mm. But Mm. what I've decided I'm not going to do is answer every crazy attack. I'm just going to stick to my work, present my record to people, people here know me, I know them, and I think they'll make the, the right decision in the end.
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Dan Keldy, congressman from the 5th District, about his run for the new 8th Congressional District. I want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag DetroitToday, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today Detroit today on 1019 am Stephen Henderson and as always thanks for tuning in we are talking to Dan Keldy he is uh, the current congressman from Michigan's 5th congressional district as uh, running to be elected in the new 8th congressional district uh, because of the redraw uh, that every 10 year Redraw we do with our political lines. Um, we're talking to him about the, the case he's making to voters in advance of next Tuesday's election and what his plans would look like if he is sent back to Washington. want to hear from you as well. Uh, what questions do you have for uh, Dan Keldy? Do you live in this new 8th congressional district? What are the kinds of issues that are on your mind as you think about voting next Tuesday? And uh, what would you like to see done uh, by the person who represents you in Washington. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Dan, before we went into the break, you were talking about the 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 difficulty um, discerning what a Republican agenda would look like for some of the problems that we've been talking about, that, that uh, the candidates and and the party have not been very specific about what they would do. They've just been very critical of what Democrats uh, are, are doing. At the same time, uh, the, the, the polls say that you're in a tight race uh, with, with your Republican opponent. I wonder um, what you hear from voters about uh, what they want from... Republicans that maybe they're not getting from Democrats? Why are people gravitating uh, toward the Republican Party, not just in the 8th District, but uh, of course nationally everything is pretty tight as well?
0: Well, it is very tight. And, you know, obviously this congressional district, uh, the reason it's tight is that it was drawn as a sub-district. It's actually got one point. Republican, a beam to it, if you were to sort of look at it in uh, sort of pure analytics. So it's a tough uh, uh, race for either party because it's so evenly divided. In some ways, it's very much like the whole state of Michigan. It it represents, uh, you know, that dichotomy, uh, you know, a good number of Democrats, a good number of Republicans, lots of independents. And, you know, I I do think a race like a district, this is just always going to produce a tight race. And it's true that the midterm election is always more difficult for the party holding the White House because I believe there's always this hope that no matter what we're doing, people think we can be doing uh, better. And the tendency, obviously in this case for the Republicans, as you as pointed out, not to offer their own plan, but to do the easiest thing to do from the cheap seats. And that's just criticize. And, you know, that. When people have uncertainty in their lives and when they're concerned, you know, often that that criticism, you know, catches a listening ear, and we understand that. You know, obviously, we've still got some work to do to get through some of the challenges we have. But all I ask, of folks, is not just listen to the noise; just look at the record. Look at what we've been able to produce in the last several months. What the impact that's having on your life, reducing the cost of gasoline. You know it's still too high we're bringing it down with some of the work the president and, and members of Congress have done we are um, we're addressing the cost of health care for sure we're um, bringing new jobs back here that have been left offshore for decades these are positive steps look at the, look at the facts not just the crit- the critique like I said easiest thing in' the world to do to sit back and just you know lob critique and and never offer your own plan, never have to be held responsible for your own plan. And that's going to catch the attention of some voters. There's no question about it. Hmm.
1: I I also want to talk a little about areas where you disagree with the Democratic uh, agenda. Recently, President Biden came out and said that he wanted to forgive uh, a portion of people's student loans. That was something that, uh, that didn't sit well with you. Tell me why.
0: Well, number one, I, I appreciate the, the um,
1: intent,
0: and I can't argue with people who need relief getting relief from student debt, but I would have preferred, if we're going to take this kind of an approach and put you know such a huge amount of money into solving a real problem, let's get at the root of the problem. The root of the problem is that it costs too much for people who want to go to college or to to any trade school, it's just too expensive. And so I'd rather spend that money reducing the cost for
3: current and future students
0: and then be much more targeted in providing relief to individuals who are engaged in public service or who clearly meet a need threshold that they can't reafford the debt that, that they're carrying I just felt like it could have been more targeted than debt relief and then use those resources that we're putting into this to reduce the cost of education, to increase Pell Grants, for example. So my goal would have been, let's stop accruing more debt. Let's not just erase what's in the past, let's right. deal with what we need to accomplish going forward. And that is creating a better pathway for more people be able to tenure their education without having to take out a lifetime mortgage to pay
1: for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven 1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Anka in Royal Oak. Anka, welcome to the show.
4: Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Dan. Hey. Um, Stephen, I, I was, you said something earlier that riled me up. And I want to challenge you on what you said. Okay. Right after your introduction of Dan, You let in with a question and you began to fall into the fallacy of reminiscence and yearning for a pre-pandemic return. I don't know about you, but I don't recall it being rosy for most people.
1: You mean before 2020?
4: For Trump's failed economic policies and a distraction from his heinous administration's unethical abuses. We should try for a better, not the pipe dream for a return of pre-COVID days. Stop propagating this foolishness. This fits in like a shoe with the make America great again. Let's make America better. George Santana said, we will repeat history if we don't remember it truthfully and change. All right? There were plenty of problems that COVID wasn't able to address because of the panic. Now, it's like a coach telling his team, go out and play You did la- the way you did last week. All right? I like the way you played. You played good. Not taking into account that you might have lost, that it was a different day, different team, and other challenges. And then I have one thing for Dan: Dan, schools should be free, as it is in other nations. We can afford we can afford this investment in our most valuable resource, which is people.
1: Yeah, uh, Anka, totally appreciate the call and the 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 criticism and the the reframing that you're suggesting there um uh, I, I agree with you uh, we should be aiming to be better than we were pre covid i do think um you know covid there's no question though a, a worldwide pandemic was going to make things pretty uh, pretty awful for for us in a lot of uh, of different ways and you're right we we fall into this idea of of just trying to get back to where we were. But no, you're right. Uh, we should be we should be striving for more. Um, but but Dan, uh, answer his question, um, his specific question to you.
0: And the first point, we do want to be better than we were before the pandemic because the pandemic revealed the many weaknesses in our society Absolutely. that we had to address during the pandemic that we want to keep doing, like the reducing the cost of, of healthcare and insulin, for example. We saw people in the pandemic unable to afford their insulin. We're, we're addressing that. But he's exactly right on the point about, about higher education. We ought to do everything we can to make sure that there's no financial barrier for anyone to go as far as their creative mind can take them. We get paid back for that. The whole of society gets paid back for the investment we make opening the mind of a young person and in, in allowing them to achieve their best version of themselves. The economic and social consequence of that is so positive that I agree we ought to make it you know completely affordable to anyone even if that means we all have to
1: chip in more. Yeah, um, Dan, I want to uh, quickly, we've got about a minute left, uh, talk about what what you expect uh, over the next six days, this is a tight race. Uh, what 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 ends up being the decider?
0: Well, I think it really depends on the people see themselves in the conversation and decide to vote. If we have a high, uh, we want people to participate. Their future, their, their voice is their vote. We, that's the, that's the goal for us. But what I expect, I expect tons of dark money coming in, mm. unaccountable money attacking me to try to basically help a guy who's never lived here buy a seat in Congress. I believe the people of this area are going to say no to that, but we're doing everything we can in the next six days to communicate our message and to to get people uh, enthusiastic about casting their ballot. If we do that, I think we're going to be fine.
1: Mm. Okay. Uh, Dan Keldy, congressman from Michigan's 5th District, uh, candidate for Michigan's new 8th district uh great to have you here with us on detroit today thanks so much for joining you. all right uh note uh dan kildy's opponent paul young we've reached out to him get him to come in and talk to us about uh, his candidacy we have not gotten an, an acceptance to that invitation Quite yet, but still hoping for that as well. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk about inflation, why it's persisted, what's causing it, and whether it can be lowered without causing a lot of harm to the working class. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.